Welcome back to your listeners. How are you doing today? How are your genes, your DNA treating you? It's estimated that about 20 million people worldwide have had their DNA analyzed using genotyping. And only about 1 to 2 million have had their whole genome sequenced. This is a relatively low number considering the almost 8 billion people on the planet. The information in our DNA can unlock so much about our health and predispositions to disease. Many people refuse to do a DNA test because there is a lack of trust amongst the companies that actually provide the DNA testing services. Today's episode is with Daniel Urebe, founder and CEO of Genobank, a startup attempting to develop anonymous secure DNA testing kits for individuals, allowing anyone to own their own genetic data and share it with whoever they choose to share it with. I enjoyed my conversation with Daniel and I hope you do too. If you're new to the healthcare blockchain space, you should really check out the show notes for a link to a Udemy course for non-technical healthcare professionals. Don't hesitate to sign up. There is real value in understanding blockchain's potential impact in healthcare. You can also use my special discount promo code DOGUM2019 for a 75% off discount off the regular price of the course. If you haven't already signed up to Robert Miller's weekly newsletter, you really should. It collects all the healthcare blockchain stories every week. A link to the newsletter is in the show notes. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today's guest is Daniel Yudabe, a serial entrepreneur and cybersecurity expert. He is currently focused on bioinformatics and data privacy with his company, Genobank. Daniel, thank you for joining me on today's show and welcome. Thank you very much, Ray, for having me in your program and also a uh, uh, big uh, hello to your audience. Awesome. Thank you. And can you actually give the audience a brief kind of introduction of your career so far? Just so they have a background idea of who you are, where you're coming from. But of course, um, originally from Mexico. So professionally speaking, my first work or my first job was at Sun Microsystems, the old Sun Micro. <laughs> um, yes. So I am a Unix guy by career, kind of. So I've been like uh, in terms of a systems engineer, an integration engineer, then a cybersecurity engineer uh, for about um, 15 years. Um, then I just uh, uh, traveled here to the, the executive program from Singularity. The, there I learned about blockchain. I got in love with uh, all what uh, was going on with Bitcoin. 
and uh, that's like uh, the the, the yeah. beginning of my journey. And I'm actually a little bit interested about the Singularity University and what goes on there. Can you talk like you know really briefly about your experience there? But of course, um, it was pretty good in terms of the mix of of people and countries that were involved. We were like seventy, all from all over the world. Um, and this the, is like the, a one-year course or a class, or how does this work? There, there are two programs, or at least in those days were two programs. So one, one was like 10 week, mm -hmm. and the other was just the executive program that was just one week long. So I took the, the, the executive program, which was one week long. And it was like literally the objective of Singularity is how can you learn skills to build a very scalable or exponential organization, right? Based on the Salim Smile book, uh, Exponential Organizations. So the, the main idea is how can you impact in a decade, one billion humans in a positive way? Wow, and is that, so how did you enter into the healthcare field? That's a very good question because in, back in those days, I was more in the FinTech uh, space. Mm -hmm. We we launched in those days uh, an app uh, uh, called Salda.mx that was to make cross-border bill payments using the Ripple, uh, the Ripple blockchain, uh, or the Ripple uh, solution. In those days, we were using Ripple solution to um, uh, to solve the cross-border bill payment through between uh, U.S. Uh, and Mexico. So we we were more focused in, in fintech. It wasn't that long ago either. You know, Ripple's only a few years old anyways, but uh, that's pretty interesting. So how did you transition into the health space? Yes, thank you. So in 2017, uh, my son, my my, uh, my youngest son was diagnosed with, uh, with a mutation, uh, well, uh, with a disease caused by a mutation in his 17 chromosome. So the mutation is called uh, Glanzmann thrombostenia. So the expression of that uh, mutation is very similar to hemophilia. Uh, so his, his body is not uh, very capable of, of, of clotting. I mean, his blood cannot wow. clot very well. I can't imagine how difficult that must be. So my transition to healthcare was when uh, in 2017, we, we have had an accident. Um, and unfortunately, my, my son uh, puked his, his throat with a, with a straw. And he started, yeah, he started like bleeding a lot, and he was diagnosed in at Stanford. Uh, um, oh, so you didn't know about the the disease until uh, after that incident with the like a plastic straw, I'm assuming. Yes. So yeah. we got distracted, and he just uh, inserted the, the straw uh, very deep into his throat, and he he scratched literally. It was a small scratch. Nevertheless, he, he didn't stop uh, bleeding. And uh, so he bled for three days. <laughs> wow. And we, yes, we were very scared. And so the, 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 the pediatrician uh, asked for, for a DNA test, right? Because he was like, uh, well, let, let's look into his genetics. And uh, so there, there the, the diagnostics came. It was uh, a mutation in his 17 chromosome, and he was uh, diagnosed with Glanzmann thrombocinia. And uh, so the expression of that mutation is very similar to hemophilia. So he, his platelets uh, are not capable of forming a network. 
Very interesting. So you realized at that point you wanted to find a better way to um, store his genetic information. Like, what what triggered the the problem that you're trying to solve with GenoBank? Yes, exactly. So as a parent, I started like learning uh, how this information was ex- exchanged with the laboratories, with the doctors, with parents, right? And start learning about. Uh, the, the new um, generation of medicines that will be very, very personal. Uh, this is uh, a very rare disease, so only like 3,000 uh, human beings around the world, uh, they are expected to have that. So it's, it, it was like a, a lot of learning from, from that moment to now, until now, and uh, especially is how can people or parents can uh, explore the genetics of their their children, right, in privacy without informing any health system or any insurer or any other one that the, the, the parents or the family or maybe the, the family doctor to, to look for alternatives but without uh, risking the identity of the minor. No? Right. So if, if we solve this case, I believe everyone else will be will be uh, also protected. Yeah, and I think that's one of the hurdles right now from, for people to actually get their genome sequenced or their genetic information. They don't want to give that information to 23andMe or Ancestry.com. They have this fear for their privacy. So that's a, a barrier for adoption of this technology. Yes, totally. I mean, those companies were pioneers and we respect them a lot. But I believe the the internet phenomena, I mean, all uh, as a whole, was designed to connect us, but not to to keep our privacy or to keep our personal data from the other public data, right? So I believe now with the with the, with the blockchain. Well, now we, we at least can build different platforms and different strate- digital strategies to to take care of this and then make uh, traceable pieces of data that will be able to to uh, to treat us better, right? So, yes, because those those companies that you mentioned has a business model that relies on making money also by selling the, the data. So. Um, I believe that that, that that is going to change, and um, not because I say so, because of the privacy policies, right, or and, and laws. Right. Yeah, no, I understand that. So can, so let's say, for example, with GenoBank, and you know, can you tell me how big it is, the company right now? Yes, we're still a startup. We're a small company. We're only three founders. Um, there's Marco, there's Everardo, there's uh, and myself, and we have. Um, uh, very, very good advisors right now. Are you, how much time are they putting into the company? I'm just wondering like what your exponential growth rate is, you know? Yes, of course. So I'm full time in the company and uh, Marco and Everardo are half time. Um, so they, they are more into the, uh, developer side or, or developing the, 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 the solution or improving it. And, um, that's, um, pretty much what who, who we are right now and um, so my my mission right now is, is to to be the voice of the company and start like uh, covering as much territory as I can got you so let's talk a little bit about the current process of how these biospecimens like 
you know, your saliva, or maybe even in the future, blood samples or tissue samples, how that supply chain works or how that flow of materials and information flow in the current healthcare system. And then I'd like you to kind of explain what you envision for the future with the use of blockchain technology. But of course, thank you. So to, today is very simple, or well, at least I'm going to, to uh, simplify it. So if you're a patient or if you're a user of one of these companies, you will uh, buy or be provided uh, with, a, with, a, with a kit, right? an extraction kit. So usually it's a, it's a tube or a swab, and you will literally deliver a, a piece of you, right, in, in the form of saliva or blood or uh, urine or, or a stool sample, right? So any, any piece of your body that contains your cells uh, has has uh, more or less, but uh, but the, it, it contains DNA, right? So um, every every uh, piece of your body that can produce data into a laboratory is is called like a biospecimen. And uh, to today, so they they get into the laboratory, they they literally extract the cells from it, and uh, they, they process the sample and gets the, the DNA purified, right? Or the RNA in, in the case of, of an exome. Uh, with that um, very um, precious substance, so you, you, you get to, to feed a sequencer, right? A machine that can read uh, eventually the, the basis or, or the, the DNA structure, right? And digitalize it. So that that's like the the, the simplest way I, I I see it, and so the the output of that machine is what we call uh, the data sets, right, or the raw data. Okay. Um, so at the end of the day, that uh, raw data is delivered from the laboratory to the broker today. So the broker. Uh, Will, That's like the laboratory office, right? Exactly. So one one copy goes to the laboratory, and the other copy goes to the to the clinical or the hospital or let's say a company like Twenty Three and Me, and they store that data into a centralized uh, database where they have uh, or well, what uh, uh, it's 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 a database that it's. Uh, uh, well, they they become the custodians of that data, right? Okay. So at the end of the day, uh, they 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 will use that information to give you uh, a a report. Usually, it's ancestry, or maybe it's uh, nutrigenomics, or maybe pharmacogenomics. Like we can talk a little bit about what the different kind of reports using your data uh, companies can deliver, and. They, they usually the, the the donor or the patient or the doctor is of of course more interested in the report and not into the raw data because the raw data is literally your A's, your C's, your T's and G's, right? So mm -hmm. it doesn't it, that's 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 what it is. They don't have time to look through all that, and they're probably not fully trained to do a bioinformatics analysis, right? Exactly, exactly. So the insight or the the data uh, or interpretable data will just is the report, right? 
And um, the, the thing with that is that the, the copy of your DNA data set is, uh, is held in custody with these kind of companies, right? With Genobank, the, the difference, the main difference is that the laboratory will deposit the data directly into a personal uh, repository. And we, as a network, as a Genobank network, will, will, will not be able to read that data uh, from you because it will be encrypted with a personal encryption, right? So every personal vault or repository will have its own uh, encryption key. And so therefore, we will not be able to uh, look at your data or get insights without your consent into what we call a priori process instead of being uh, a posteriori. Um, yeah, no, I understand. A couple of questions come up. How do you trust that the labs are not going to hold that data themselves? Like, how do you know for certain? Is that a point of failure? Well, strictly talking, yes, but usually laboratories will uh, never risk their reputation and their licensing um, because they, they, their business model is very clear in terms that they, they sell the sequencing uh, service. They, they don't uh, have any incentives to sell the data or risk to do that. And also they... Um, they also have a very clear agreement with the, the, the instance or let's say the, the, the company that is asking for the service, whether if the samples have an appropriate consent uh, and, and what they should do with uh, the, the data and the samples. So we, you, we have to provide with documentation that, that also... Uh, is is inside the agreement to say well if you if they are allowed to keep uh, the, the samples and the, and the data very clearly. You know what's cool actually. So I did my twenty three and Me uh, test over six or seven years ago actually now, and uh, over time the user interface of the website has improved. And I noticed in the settings of my account I was actually able to go and tell twenty three and Me to destroy my sample my actual sample so that that was a new feature when i initially you know took the test it wasn't part of my account settings so it seems like 23me is trying to get into that protecting privacy space however i still do think that they are a central entity and organization and the data is still not in my ownership technically speaking uh, they are still the custodians of that data so i think that's kind of the difference between how a blockchain system can allow a person to own their uh, genetic information. That's totally true. And uh, I believe that they are doing, uh, they are, uh, yeah, as you were saying, trying to behave as a good custodian. I, I'm not going to uh, judge if they are a good or a bad custodian that that's up to the, to the users and the market and, well, other entities. What what I'm uh, I, what I agree with you is that certainly now we have uh, for the first time a different kind of digital structure that solves that problem mm -hmm. uh, because now we have digital scarcity, right? So I believe that's the most exciting part for me uh, that blockchain solve the double spending in 
digital assets that are scarce, that are unique, and that have an owner, right? Right, like collectibles, like art or biodata. Exactly. So you can create a token, a non-fungible token, something that can't be divisible. You know, your genetic information is what it is. Um, I mean, I guess you can also split parts of your genetic information into different. You know, you can share one chromosome, for example, um, and like have separate layers there of data. But the idea is still, you are in ownership of that, and no one else can make a actual copy of it without it being a false copy. There's only one true copy of it, of that data, and you are the owner of it. That's the idea. Am I right there? Totally, completely. I mean, you become literally the central authority that can issue these tokens, like a central bank, right, with your own own currency that uh, represents your data. So exactly, you you can issue as many copies as you want, but you are the only one that can uh, issue new tokens because you have literally the the, the private key that... uh, that represents the ownership, right, in, a, in, in the smart contract kind of world. So that's exactly what, what you were saying is, is accurate. Sure. Uh, I don't want to get into the private key issue right. as well. That's another Sorry. thing uh, we don't have yeah, to get it's... into, but uh, there is also risk there too. But I kind of want to learn about your technical specs on the platform. Has it been built yet? Is it still early stages with wireframing? What's the status of the platform itself? Uh, of course. So we have uh, three different versions right now. We are testing uh, different blockchains. We believe we are still in that uh, space that we don't want to get married or you know uh, get uh, one single version of it. Uh, right now we are testing, like uh, of course the, the the two main things is first of all uh, security. That's the main and the most important. So we have an MVP with uh, Bitcoin blockchain oh, wow. and we use we, we use counterparty which is an old kind of of platform but they 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 can issue non-fungible tokens right so that's that's the main part so that's one of the MVP the other MVP is with Ethereum mm-hmm. of course and we are using ERC uh, 721s and we're testing some with ERC 1155 as well so the, the just what is uh, the 1155 um, yes, it, it, of course. It's a combination of ERC 721s and ERC 20s. So th- think about the ERC 20s as a cheap kind of version of copies of the ERC 721. But the but the ERC 721 is the is a is a father, right, of of the other uh, tokens. So let's say, for instance, that your saliva tube. Is is the maybe it's a, it's a non-fungible token, right? Because okay. it, it contains your your bio sample per se, or it represents. And the there's ownership. only one of them too. It can't be divided, right? Exactly. And then the data coming from that bio sample uh, is is could be another uh, uh, non-fungible token that is in that tree or that uh, chain of of, of custody. Um, so it, we're trying like different versions to see what makes more sense. What can we represent that can be um, user friendly? So, like literally, we're we're using CryptoKitties, and it it sounds uh, yeah like like a very not not serious uh, 
uh, thing, but we, we are learning a lot from the, the team of CryptoKitties um, and, and how they, they are building their software. Yeah, no, they're the leaders in non-fungible tokens. So they far, are. In digital assets like that. Um, and their success was, you know, widely known, which is, which is cool. It's interesting. Um, you said yes. you had three MVPs, so I heard the oh, counterparty yes. one, Ethereum, and the third one. Yeah, the third one we are partnering. We got accepted uh, by the Near Protocol uh, team. Near Protocol. So, hmm. Yes. So right. so the, yes. That's the N E A R or N E A R. Yes, protocol. Okay. So their their platform has uh, a very uh, unique. Uh, characteristic that they, they are trying to avoid the use of MetaMask, right? Uh, so it, 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 they, their, their mission is to help companies like us to uh, make products more user-friendly. So we are also testing their platform. And literally that's, that's, uh, that's happening these this weeks. So uh, we are inside his, their, their beta program and we're literally trying to build the most... Uh, secure but at the same time the most uh, uh user-friendly platform that we can very interesting so i guess the question is then how far along like what's your roadmap look like in terms of release beta testing i saw on your website you're accepting uh beta testers or at least yes. collecting information when do you think you'll have the first um beta testing program Thank you. So right now under our beta test, we have like uh, 60 uh, persons. So we, we, we enroll like 500, but we're only, uh, we, we only have samples from 60 persons, right? That, that right. wants to, to the, well, they want their data delivered into a wallet, right? So that's the, the experience uh, that we're trying to, to build as the 1.0 version. And, um, so and the then how people have wallets, you're saying? With bio wallets, the, is it through the Ethereum? No, those are in the blockchain, in the Bitcoin blockchain. Bitcoin. Oh, cool. Yes. So I believe that's the. Well, we'll try to to stay as close at, as 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 possible to the Bitcoin uh, blockchain because we believe that's the most secure one, uh, just because of their size and, of course, the the asset they represent. So. Um, but what I'm trying to tell you is that the problem with that is that counterparty is uh, kind of not very open right now to interact, let's say, with uh, Solidity and other lang uh, programming languages. So it's kind of the the best in the security kind of side, but in the other compatibility is not that good. So and there's a lot of trade-offs when choosing Bitcoin or a blockchain rather protocols there's a lot of decisions that need to be made it sounds rough exactly um our bet is that we are going to stay with ethereum but uh, maybe that will change so uh that's kind of the things that a beta program can can give you like to experiment and see what's the best uh solution to to launch as as quickly as possible but also we will not launch um live or we will not come live if we are not totally or completely uh, sure that now uh, everybody's data is encrypted is secure is decentralized as as much as we can right because 
uh, of course, these data sets are not born digital, right? So there is like you, like you were saying, there are uh, points of failure when they are created. And we, we want to, to, to study very well uh, all the points so we can deliver a, a compelling uh, version. Very interesting. What is your method of storing the information actually? That's, that's a good one. Um, I mean, it's no secret we are using IPFS, right? But um, we're partnering with a company that is also, uh, I believe, uh, in, in the space and, and the, the, the developers are really friendly and, and they're, they're helping us to build what we would like to have. We would like to have a private network inside IPFS. So that's, that, that means that uh, our data sets although they are going to be part of the IPFS protocol, the gateways uh, will not speak with the public version of IPFS. Hmm. So that's, that's an additional level of privacy. Um, even, and of course, the data of every, every participant or every user is going to be encrypted. Um, so we are, we are designing that uh, of course, as, as we speak, well, not, not as we speak, but, but yesterday we were talking about that. So it's, it's a kind of, a, of an architecture of using IPFS where you will be able to have like different uh, networks or storage networks for different kind of data and different uh, profiles of, of users. So that's very interesting. So it's also distributed storage is private but then another level of consent that users will, will be able to have is if their data will be only visible to the, to the Genobank's network or they want to increase their visibility to the outer world and then make it visible to the rest of their IP, IPFS network. Oh, so they'll uh, have the option to do that. Yes, they, they will. Exactly. So it's like a firewall, like a, like firewall of, of data, of data sets. So that's that's an interesting thing that also is is for me is fascinating because it's new for me as um, as a cybersecurity kind of guy. So and I believe that will also help us to to keep uh, an additional layer of of privacy. Yeah, and sticking to the the details of the project here, I know you're working with Oasis Labs and New Cipher. Yes. Can you just tell me a little bit about the relationship you have with those companies and how they are allowing, you know, Genobank to function or how you envision Genobank will use them? Of course. So um, those technologies or those those companies, um, we're, of course, it's part of the prototype that we have with Ethereum, right? Uh, because they're based on, on Solidity, right? So uh, the the... The cool thing about Oasis Labs is that they are trying to create an enclave, right? So where they are good partners of Intel, so then they are in the in the in the space of the SGX, right? It's a secure uh, way of of uh, encrypt, encrypt the the computational piece of a server or a virtual machine to uh, so so you can use literally pieces of hardware that also will have your data encrypted while they are performing any process 
Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that. Uh, is, yeah, it's is, like similar to uh, um, fully encrypted homomorphic encryption. Similar, but this is literally hardware or it's CPU plus uh, RAM plus disk that all, they are all encrypted while they are um, perf- exactly data. Wow, exactly. So it, it's a very private instance of computers that are uh, literally processing your information. So that's yeah, that's an enclave. For some authors, uh, an iPhone can be an enclave, right? Um, because it's encrypted and the, the information of your face ID or your thumb or your fingerprint will never leave the, the phone. So it's, it's, it's the, the similar kind of, of idea. So that's, that's what Oasis Labs is working and also working how to make uh, the, the smart contracts uh, private, right? With using zero knowledge proofs and everything. So we are still testing that that technology. Um, we are not there yet. We 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 have not completed the, the roadmap there with their technology. But um, we believe in the next year we'll be able to to have a very compelling uh, use case with with them. But um, and and speaking about new cipher, new cipher is very exciting. I believe they they are really in the in the terrains of the fully homomorphic encryption. And um, I, I know I've uh, been speaking to McLean uh, uh, personally, and he's he's excited that his platform is enabling us in the sharing part, right? So what what uh, New Cipher solves is exactly when you have when you already have your data in your wallet, then how can you share it without disclosing your private key or your or your password, right? So that's the, the terrain or that's the, the arena of uh, re re encryption proxy. And new cipher is exactly that. So we are integrating new cipher technology. So our users uh, will will be secured. And they, they will not have to disclose their private key in order to share the data with another wallet. And that other wallet could be a researcher, could be a, a, a relative, could be whoever, right? That has a, a, a wallet and can receive the data as... as uh, as a token. So will GenoBank be issuing tokens other than, so will there be any tokens that could increase in value as well? Like uh, asset that could be traded on a crypto market? Yes, we're, we're thinking in, into a token economy. Um, we are still not uh, sure um, if that is going to work. But the idea goes like this, and I'm happy to, to share it with you. So you have like these non-fungible tokens that will represent your data. So what we can do is we can sell those, uh, let's say, future non-fungible token as ERC-20s, right? So we can pre-sell them uh, and then buy them back from the the buyer of the token once we need them to produce the the then the non-fungible tokens. So it's an ERC twenty that represents a future non-fungible token, let's say an ERC seven twenty one, and that will increase in value in terms of the volume of transactions that we will be able to to issue. I don't know if that makes sense. I, I didn't follow that actually. So you're saying uh, a person can 
Um, so let, let's say we plan to have 1 million non-fungible tokens or 1 million DNA uh, data sets represented by a non-fungible token, okay. right? So what we can do... Well, realistically, and, you don't want to have a limit to the number of... Correct. Okay. Let, let's say this is like Series A, like okay. Series A's of, of, uh, of users, right? Mm -hmm. So what we can do or we, we've been thinking to do is we can pre-sell part of those ERC-20s uh, as ERC-20s that will represent future ERC-721s when they are, once they are personalized, hmm. right? So we can start like buying back those ERC-20s from the, 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 users. the, the users, right, in, the, in an exchange for uh, a, a capital gain. Exactly. Or, or the, let's say we sell them for, uh, we, they, they can pre-buy them for $1, and when we convert them to ERC twins, we're going to pay them 1.25 or something like that, just because they pre-buy them before they, they, will, they were used. So it's like as a pre-order. So like, exactly. So exactly. you might get beta testers who, would, you know, instead of paying $99 for the test, you could pay 80 now. Correct. Um, with the token, you have to buy the token, the ERC-20 tokens, $80. And then you can exchange that in the future for a $100 valued uh, non-fungible token. Correct. Exactly. Okay. So, something like that. I mean, we, we are still thinking about a compelling t token economics. Um, Plus, it gets pretty uh, complicated when you involve regulatory agencies and, uh, you know, Yes, SEC I mean, and, yeah. actually, we in, in 2018, we were about to uh, issue our ICO, but because of the regulation or the lack of regulation, we decided not to do it. And now we're super glad um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that we didn't. Uh, so now, I mean, we, we, we don't want to, to run. I mean, uh, now we have a very good regulation, uh, which is the Reg, Reg CF. And we believe that everything will, will go like a Reg CF, then a Reg A or Reg D, and then and so on and so forth. So uh, we, the, the Security Exchange Commission, I believe it's been very patient and, and, and been like uh, open to discuss this new token kind of, of world. Uh, but I believe that those uh, will be very good. Uh, frameworks or legal frameworks with tokens that represent equity. Mm. Uh, so that's that's the way we're we're gonna go um, as as equity tokens or security tokens. Um, and so those we are also interested on on exploring those those areas. So we're talking also with some other companies that will help us to raise money, but using a tokenized version of our our equity, but not not a utility token. That's interesting. And you guys are based in Palo Alto, so I'm sure there's plenty of talent there once you mm -hmm. uh, have some more funds so you can hire some developers and marketing people, etc. Yes, hopefully, yes. Uh, there's even here is lack of talent, so there's a lot of opportunities for people interested in the, in the field. I believe there's, there's a lot of opportunities. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. On October 1st, 2019, Denver-based Burst IQ announced a 
million Series A capital raise with Elsewhere Partners to fund the four-year-old healthcare blockchain startup. It plans to grow its service offerings for enterprise-level organizations. Burst IQ claims to provide platform-as-a-service and identity management solutions to healthcare institutions, insurers, digital health providers, life sciences and pharma companies, and government agencies. This is the second largest raised this year for a healthcare blockchain startup, following the $16 million raise by Chronicled. The total funding for blockchain and healthcare startups in 2019 so far is $37 million. And now back to our conversation with Daniel Uribe, CEO of Genobank. So I need to ask you about some of the competition in the space. So there are multiple other companies that are using, they're trying to put genetics on the blockchain just to make it a very clear or very uh, simplified way to explain things. Nebula Genomics and EncryptGen. And I've interviewed both uh, companies on my show. So how are you different and what makes Genobank, you know, better? So when we started with the idea, the only the only company that was out there was EncryptGen because we we filed our first patent on uh, May 2018. It's a, the patent pending. So the patent pending is about the first anonymous uh, DNA uh, sal- saliva DNA extraction kit. So we were we are explaining there how we can use a QR code that represents a public address uh, with with its corresponding private key to create uh, exactly that a, a structure that will include IPFS or a repository to receive the data and that in that way the the users uh, will not have to risk their identity in order to to process a. A biosample, right? So that's what our patent is about, and it also mentions the non-fungible token. So we were, to be honest, the, the very early. We believe we are the, the the earliest company to talk about non-fungible tokens to represent biodata in twenty in twenty eighteen, in um, mid twenty eighteen. So um, the the differentiator with EncryptGen is that I believe they are all, only offering the blockchain kind of service. So you can register the ownership of of your data, but they are not mentioning non-fungible tokens, and it's like a transaction kind of based. And it's also more interested in the, the data market. So uh, I believe the, uh, Professor uh, David is very clear that his platform offers uh, a, a way to to sell your data. So my my interest is not there. It's more inclined to uh, have more liquidity or more options for people to explore uh, genomics in private. Uh, I'm always thinking about the case of my son. Mm-hmm. So I, to be honest, I don't want to sell my son's data. That's not my main purpose, although we are creating a wallet, a cryptocurrency wallet that is also capable of receiving all sorts of tokens. So it could be tokens that represent uh, monetary value. So what I'm trying to tell you is that we are different from EncryptGen because um, the spirit is not a marketplace per se. It's more uh, a platform that uh, will enable you to to send your data to researchers and then exchange uh, value there, right? So it can be value in terms of they will uh, give you a report, or a genetic report, and you will 
exchange the, the data or maybe it's also money that we will exchange. So I see it's more I, like a learning exploration uh, platform. Yes. As opposed to selling for research. You're still exactly. selling potentially, but that's not the primary objective. Exactly. So we are we are not uh, like trying to solve how can you pay uh, users to have their data, right? So that's that's a feature, yes. But I'm not super excited about that. So what about Nebula honest. Genomics? I know they're also very you know interested in the anonymous test kits as well, and they recently published on their website like tips and tricks on how to stay anonymous. Things like use a PO box give a fake email address, um, use cryptocurrencies to purchase the kit. Yes, exactly. So I respect a lot Professor uh, George Church, but for me, um, Nebula is not under not deeply understanding what are the advantages of using blockchain. And the main reason, I've, and I've been like very frontal about this, is like if you need uh, a company that uses blockchain to be supported by Professor Church, it's it's you're not understanding what the purpose of, of blockchain means. I mean, blockchain should be trustless. So not not you don't. Well, I mean, you can still okay. have like an advisor who understands genetics very oh. well. As of a... course, that's the strong part. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree. So I believe it the, their their platform will be a very good entrance to all the knowledge coming from the MIT. Uh, and 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 all those uh, 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 very very uh, smart people that is working in Nebula. I mean, I'm excited with Nebula not because of the blockchain part, which I believe, for me as a blockchain kind of guy, uh, I'm not super excited about what what they are like uh, building there. But I'm excited about the quality and the potential uh, algorithms that they will be able to develop in the genetic kind of, kind of side. So they, are, they come from the genetic side and they are building a blockchain. We come from the blockchain space building a, a, a better custodian for genetics. So, but we are not claiming that we are going to interpret the data. I mean, that, that, that data will be interpreted by a researcher like, like them, right? So to be honest, I don't see, I don't see uh, Nebula or EncryptGen as competitors. I believe blockchains will eventually talk mm -hmm. or be connected. I mean, we have now Cosmos, uh, the Cosmos project, and I believe many of them will come and and exactly tackle that kind of, of problem. And because one of the main problems right now is that we have a lot of silos, right? Data silos. So uh, we don't want to create more. I know the blockchain. Exactly. That's exactly. The, right. We don't want that. So. I believe in the future, users from Nebula will be able to interact with users from Genobank if we have some sort of kind of different algorithm or we have something different that makes sense to just uh, grab your data, tokenize it, and then put it into, a, let's say, a Nebula repository or wallet or whatever. And the same with, with encryption. I believe everybody needs all data everybody's data the more data you we you you have the more research you can you can do and everybody gets benefit or uh, the benefits so um I, I celebrate that we are now building blockchains whatever you do in whatever space um the the, the thing that there there are standards that 
this kind of tokenized data can communicate. Uh, I'm excited about that. So let's see. Uh, right now, I don't see them as a competitor. I believe I, I, I confess that I got kind of a, a tricky feeling when they when Professor Church uh, advertised the, the first uh, anonymous uh, kit because we, we were first like for many, many months before. But that's okay. I mean, that yeah. literally, I mean, I celebrate as a guy from cybersecurity that a professor recognized, uh, well, and, and Professor Church, which is uh, very famous and one of the fathers of the DNA discoveries uh, in the human space, that he recognizes the need of that product, right? So uh, I believe that's that's the important part. That's the important uh, content of the message. They say, well, he, he really... Uh, endorses that kind of products and, and we're excited about it. Yeah, I agree. Um, and for all my listeners, if you haven't already listened, episode nine is with George Church, Professor George Church. Uh, it's a really good episode. Check it out. So the competition or co-opetition that maybe you're talking about in the future is out there, but it sounds like you're focused on the cybersecurity aspect of it. And you coming from a background in cybersecurity, uh, that's what your focus is. Not so much on the data marketplace um, and okay, that's fair, I guess. Um, I have a question about DNA extraction kits. How much does it cost wholesale? <laughs> yes, of course, there are many, many brands. So the, the different, the differentiator is the FDA approval. Mm -hmm. So, um, you want to make sure if you're commercializing this in the United States, that it's an FDA, uh, approved, uh, device in, in my, uh, map, there are only two. So we're using uh, the most, uh, uh, I mean, the, the highest quality in, in our uh, version. So it's it's the 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 tube is provided by DNA uh, Genotech. So and uh, they they have different price prices depending on the volume. So that's right. the, literally what, but they're very pretty fair in in terms of of how much cost. But let's say the 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 saliva tube with the shipping and all the, the cost uh, is is around like $60, something okay. like that. Yeah, it's, seems about right, you know. <laughs> uh, I yes. remember uh, I used to work in a lab too and we'd order um, Kyogen kits for, of course. for DNA or RNA extraction. Um, and they were, you know, very expensive. Maybe depending on the type of kit, you can order for maybe 20 samples or 30 samples, it's like a few hundred dollars. So, um, and this is like not to spit into it. It's not saliva. It's just small, small uh, tubes, not a full kit for a consumer. It's just for a lab. So, you know, there's much less stuff actually in the box. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's pretty inside because also the, the, the prices are coming down. So yeah. uh, that's that's also exciting. So I, I believe we're going to be working into the 100 to $200 kind of kits of, uh, of all sorts of of, um, of services. What is cool about Genobank is that we don't want to be the brand. That's another main differentiator between, I believe, the other, the other uh, companies. So... We just closed last week uh, for two companies, so we are going to create their kits. The the kits are there. I mean, they 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 are branded with their uh, logos and, and everything. And our kit only says uh, "secured by Genobank." Oh, that's interesting. So it's like a 
a partnership that you're doing with these companies? Are they what kind of companies? Yes. So usually like these two companies are clinical trial companies. So they are interested on serving the patients or the donors, finding uh, like interesting things for them with their data sets, but they don't have the incentive to, uh, to have a copy of their data after the, the trials. So they, they, uh, they agree that they only need to identify the patients and then uh, just close, close the, the, the access to the data. And That's actually much easier for them because they don't have to worry about compliance later on, like how to get rid of the data. So it's, it's a win-win. Exactly. So they, they are sponsoring the, the, the kids, right? So the, the kids, again, uh, look exactly as their brands. So it's their customers. Um, they only have the reference to the data. They, they use the data to, to uh, well, res- do the research they, they want, but they are not hoarding the data. They are not storing the data. It's also very convenient for small clinical trials because they, now they don't have to buy any computing uh, platforms or any uh, storage or cloud computing to store these, these data. So, and they still have the relationship with the customer. If they need the data after, they will just ask for another uh, window of, of access, and that's pretty much it. Can, can you share the names of the clinical trial companies? Yes. Um, so one is in Guadalajara. Well, both are in Guadalajara, uh, in Mexico. And uh, one is, is called uh, Prevención de Salud, right? And, and um, the other is, I, I don't remember their name because it's, it's a long name, but okay. at the end of the day, they are uh, like, uh, they, they recruit uh, patients for, for big pharma companies. And at the end of the day, they are looking for very specific markers. And usually is like three or four markers. They are not even interested on whole genome or whole exome. So right now they are in the in the in the space of genotyping kind of the, of data. I see. So as it's long as you focused. exactly exactly. So I, I think that what, I, what I'm trying to tell you is that I believe, like for instance, this would be a very interesting model for nutritionists or for uh, even forensics kind of, of things that you only need this data for a very specific moment or a very specific process, and then you don't need the data anymore. And, uh, and so you release the, the, the access to the data, and that, that automatically makes you very compliant with CCPA and GDPR kind of laws, because you, you're not even, uh, you're not longer a custodian you're not you're no longer a, a data processor and so on and so forth so yeah yeah i get that uh, so it sounds like you're working a lot in mexico on this is that your target market to to be honest my my target is everybody interested on on privacy okay. while performing a sequencing service that's our total market but being a Mexican and being that there's uh, less opportunities, or more, more opportunities in Mexico in terms of the the need of people offering these kind of services, because we, in the United States we have a, a lot of good companies and good laboratories offering the service. Not the case in, in Mexico, unfortunately. Mm. But the, the problem about Mexico is that the buying power is not there, mm. right? So we are focusing or if we want to focus in Latinos, which we are, I mean, that's a very uh, 
uh, uh, secondary good mission because 80% of the genomic information in the world is it comes from Europeans. I mean, it's the most uh, studied genome. Um, 20% or 19% is Asian, and only 1% and 2% is African and Latin American. So wow. we are... I didn't yes, know it was that we, low. That's very low. Very low, very scarce. And, of course, we want to contribute that uh, to, to, to increase the liquidity. And, I, and we believe privacy is going to be a very good driver to help this. I think so, especially during these times when people are hearing about different hacks. Yes, um, that is true, and uh, it's it's very important. And, and as we speak, there is there is just uh, an article right now that is just issued. Uh, I mean, as, as we speak, that the Justice Department is planning to require collection of DNA from immigrants crossing the U.S.-Mexico border. Wow. So it's yes. So it's it's also and it's it's a. But that very, sounds like. That sounds like they're, you know, invading their privacy. Totally, totally. Because, um, I mean, again, this is one of the, the uses where DNA is only to recognize the uh, that parents, well, that 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 uh, the adults are the true parents okay. uh, or related to the kids, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a brief moment, or you only need a certified kind of, of uh, authority that certifies that. But there is no reason they keep the data sets into a into a into a database because well, that, I'm reading. That, I'm looking at this article. Sorry to interrupt, but it says the new program will require immigrant agents to collect a more comprehensive data sample so that the data can later be used to help identify criminal suspects. Correct. So, so you're yeah. that's pretty crazy. Well, we yes, we believe that. So, what could be a more compelling thing is that well, they they can make the users or the or the people crossing the border to have a wall a wallet, right, a DNA wallet. Then, for purposes of identifying their their children or their relatives, yes, you can use a specific positions of my DNA, but then close the access to that information because it's, it's, it seems not very uh, compelling in terms of privacy that they, they keep a copy of those data sets forever or, or for wherever they want. Uh, that's profiling people and that, that's not good. Yeah. Do you think the government and ICE, you know, do you think they're going to be ever i mean it sounds like they're already interested in doing this so um how how is the future going to unfold in the next three to five years with dna because this is a huge deal like they have the ability to profile people like you're saying um it's an ethical question i think that we need to talk about of course um it's well um it's hard to say i mean to to establish here what i what I, i i'd like to say that um, if if you don't give control to any data to people, it's it's not ethical by design, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a very personal and the most sensitive biomarker that we have. It says a lot of. I mean, we, you you already know, but you are oh, giving. Conf- I mean, you, you're giving information about your father, your mother your siblings, your your future kids or your kids, and so on and so forth. So you can literally be mapped. 
and you don't need all the information from your family. I mean, it's only like a, like a, like small uh, uh, version. So what I'm trying to tell you is that if uh, authorities want to respect the privacy of uh, an, uh, any, any person, even if it's accused or of a crime or not, right? The, the the ethical way that we think it should be is again i mean i can show you that i have my dna processed it's mine then uh, issue a subpoena from a court or from a judge to ask for a sample or my digital assets where that subpoena has to be very clear on the usage of that information what's the purpose what is the, the duration and once that order is uh, fulfilled, then the, the authority will have to to erase that data, or the or the company that will be hired by the state or whatever, the the, the enforcing kind of of uh, authority. Then that that would be the, the ethical way to do it, right? So whether if you are just uh, identifying relatives of this person, or whether you want to to match it with a let's say, a, a rapist or a, or a sexual offender, mm-hmm. people have the right to, once the, the, the case is done, to have their data back and, uh, and then continue with, it, with their lives. So that's one of the key components about this kind of technology that also, as you, you were mentioning, like fully homomorphic encryption and zero-knowledge proofs we were talking about. So that's the other way that it's even more ethical. So I will just want to try or to ask uh, Boolean questions to these data sets, yeah. right? Uh, and I just want to make sure that you are not that guy or not that person. And once you uh, don't have a match, where you're free to go, but you never release your entire data sets or your, your I mean, and they, they didn't keep a copy, right? So there's many ways to, to do it in these days. Uh, with the, with the current technology, and let's expect that uh, in the different forms we we will be able to to just uh, offer them like this kind of technology even for free or whatever, just uh, to be more more uh, compelling with the privacy laws and an ethical way to do it. Interesting. Yeah, the future. There's a lot of uncertainty in this field, and I think it's exciting that you know we get to be part of it. Um, and I'm very grateful for the work that you're doing around this. I think it's very important, so I appreciate it. Uh, oh no, please, thank you. It's really, really great. Uh, I still have a few questions left here before we kind of wrap up. Blockchain is a term that's been thrown around a lot. What is the general consensus in Mexico for blockchain adoption? Like how you know how is how are people perceiving it? It's a very good question, and um, so it's in the in the years like let's say two to three years ago, we were very excited because as a Mexican, in order to to raise money, you have to have at least three things. The first one is a uh, a visa, right, which is kind of difficult to get. You mean raise money uh, in, the, in the United States? Yes, exactly. Okay. So you have to you have to have a visa. You have to know the language. I mean, it's it's also not not there yet. I mean, we ninety percent of the country doesn't speak English uh, fluently, and the other is money to come. You need to convert pesos to dollars, 
uh, and then spend like maybe two months or three months here uh, raising money, which is a lot of money for, for the average Mexican or entrepreneur. So with this kind of ICOs, uh, now coming to the, to the blockchain space, there were many forums that would say, well, now we can raise money from all over the world, right? So if you have a nice, uh, compelling global uh, project that can issue a token, then you start. You, you will be able to start uh, raising money from uh, investors all over the world. Which is th that idea is still kind of there, but now is going to change for a regulated kind of, of token, right? Even in Mexico, there like uh, fintech laws, and so th there was a, 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 a good spirit to approve those kind of, of laws. But what happened in Mexico is that we just got into the into the middle of the of the way, or we just uh, the the authorities said, well, at least cryptocurrencies are not going to be banned, which is a very good uh, start starting point. But the secondary laws were supposed to say which ones were going to be allowed, uh, and hmm. yes, and that secondary law is still in the in the in the desk. So we're, we still have a gray area. So right now people uh, are able to issue an ICO uh, into kind of a gray area in Mexico. Utility tokens are not banned. I mean, you, you will not be um, uh, pursued by the central bank or the uh, same kind of... of but but in a nutshell, I mean, people start to learn how to to use the technology. There there are good projects there, and um, we believe there's a lot of, of talent, uh, good good talent, uh, good engineers there that understand uh, Ethereum uh, mainly. So yeah. it's, and I'm it's sure good... like the the Bitcoin. I know um, transmitting money from America to Mexico. A lot of people have been using Western Union, so you know, doing it with Bitcoin, for example, is much cheaper. Is that a common use case? Just transmission of money to loved ones? Yes. And I mean, that, that is an exciting thing because Saldo, this, this company, Saldo means balance in, in English. Mm -hmm. uh, so Saldo is a Spanish word. So this, this app allows you to pay bills from, from the United States to your Mexican relatives. But they are, they are using a stable coin. Mm. So what you can do is you can buy Mexican pesos as tokens here in the United States and then send them to your relatives so they can be spent there. Interesting. It's exactly. It's like, like, uh, like if you would be like an American citizen, let's say from Mexican origin, and you could have an American, uh, American account, but um, with Mexican pesos. And that, that, that can be shared with your relatives in, in, in Mexico. The, that is uh, literally uh, an ongoing thing for a license. I mean, they, they are, we are asking for a license to, to do this. This is very innovative kind of, of version of our use case of the stable coins. You don't want to expose any uh, people, any low income people to the volatility yeah. of Bitcoin or Ethereum. So we are solving that with the stablecoin versions and um, so that's i believe that's the way to go and disrupt uh companies as as western union 
with the stable coins. Um, yeah, stable coins is definitely, I think, becoming the bridge to cryptocurrency markets, cryptocurrency economy, rather. Uh, that's I've been seeing that a lot, and a lot of my guests also talk about that. Um, I have a couple of questions here, kind of fun questions. If you had a micro, if you had to have a microchip implanted in your body, where would you want it to be implanted, and what would you want it to do? Yes, I, I, I thought about that question, and um, after uh, a, a while of thinking, I said, well, definitely uh, um, a tooth. Um, mm. Um, because then I could sense maybe uh, health uh, also. I mean, what I am eating, how frequently I am eating, maybe also kind of a, a could be a GPS. I mean, there, there are already GPSs or, or sensors of, of tracking persons. But I believe that that's a good spot. Um, Aren't you so afraid you someone will try to rip your tooth out? <laughs> Well, that's true. Uh, you're, if you're if that's happening, you're in a different situation. So yeah. <laughs> yes, um, but I believe that would be a, a good place for an implant uh, of that kind. That's interesting, and especially if you know it's private, no one will know which tooth or whatever. So um, that's actually a really interesting answer. Thank you for that. Oh no, please. Thank you. Uh, who would be your favorite scientist in history? or now i i truly admire um uh, elon musk i mean he's one of the guys that i follow a lot um i believe this guy i mean is 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 very controversial as, as at the same time but but the way that that he uh accomplish a lot of the the things that he said he's going to do is for me is like the 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 human version or the or the real version of a Tony Stark, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I I admire him. I love Tesla. I love solar energy. I, I, I love space and, and and outer space. So um I would probably be like like copycatting him a lot. Also, I mean lately and then brutally honest, I mean I am an admirer of Professor George Church as well. I mean I I literally had to 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 learn a lot about who who were the, the the first one to sequence the first human genome and i was uh fascinated about that story and how much money it cost and because now now it's it's easy to say you know what i'm going to uh, make a better custodian or better tracker or whatever of dna data but literally it was it was a uh, a uh, uh, and, uh, brute, yeah. exactly and and brilliant uh minds that went after this um uh, after this uh i mean discovery and it was literally super huge so um yeah i i admire him as a scientist as well i, I also admire like lo local and, and and very close friends uh had the opportunity to to meet with carlos bustamante He's like kind of the George Church from Stanford. He's a, a great genetist. Uh, he's um, uh, the, the head of the of, of genomic of population genomics in, at Stanford, and um, and a lot a lot of a lot of people in in at, at Stanford University. But um, in general, every single people that is uh, committed to science, I believe it's. 
for me is is, is admirable because they they literally give their time and and mm -hmm. and and minds to discover new things to to empower humans. For sure, it's definitely a collective effort, a science in general overall, and uh, it takes a lot of sacrifice and work from people uh, to make these discoveries. It doesn't happen overnight. Nothing truly great happens overnight, as we all know. Daniel, it's been really nice talking to you today. I learned a lot about Genobank and about you know your experience and uh, potentially the future of genetic information and how we're going to be able to hopefully own it and control it as well. Uh, do you have any final words for the audience? Um, just to, to be very grateful to you, I'm, I'm really honored to be in this in this space because you have shared, as you were saying, the, the, the same microphone, the same channel with uh, uh, giants, right, of genomics or uh, very good ethicists like Professor David. And uh, I, I'm honored to be here. Uh, I I want to represent the the the, the space. Uh, honorably and I really really appreciate um, that you have in, uh, invited me and hopefully this is uh, uh, another uh, good good chapter for your for your uh, for sure. uh, audience hey y'all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to health unchained on stitcher soundcloud Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.